Shabbat Shalom. I'm Rabbi Tama Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue in Inverness, Florida, bringing you Parasha number 23, the Gode accounts. This is found in Shemot, Exodus 38:21 through 40:38. If you have any comments or questions, you're welcome to go to our website at rabdavis.org under the Ask the Rabbi link and post your questions or comments there. All right, without any further ado, let's get going here. As a medical health provider, I spend a significant part of my time with patients instructing them on the importance of moving. I saw a little blurb in the news today and it said that there's a new research study out that says if you just walk for 20 minutes a day, or at least most days of the week, you cut your chance of getting Alzheimer's by 33%, just by walking. Now, I've known this in my heart for a long time, but now you've got the data to prove it. And they're also tying in diet, berries and grains and fish and chicken, all of these healthy things, getting away from the standard American diet where more is better uh, of a bunch of junk food. But anyway, those things all affect chances of getting Alzheimer's and the degree to which people get it. And I'm not talking about grandiose movements, any triathlon participation or mountain climbing. Any movement, they, they used walking, is beneficial to our health. I mean, that should be a no-brainer, but look at the incidence of obesity, and you'll find out that there are people who aren't getting it. Otherwise, we'll definitely realize negative changes in our health in some way. I mean, I don't have to worry about my job. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on forever because too many people don't want to do anything that takes them out of their comfort zone physically. And we have to do that. Now, there are people who have diseases and infirmities and things like that where they can't do that. But you can always do something. The ones who tell me they can't walk, sit there and get some two-pound dumbbells and do this. You know, do this. You can do that. And you burn calories and you build muscle. But they've got an excuse for everything. The World Health Organization identified physical inactivity as the fourth greatest health hazard today ahead of obesity. In the words of Dr. James Levine, one of the world's leading experts on this subject, and the man credited with coining the mantra says, we are sitting ourselves to death. And we are. All we need do to validate these statements is look at the rising health costs related to obesity. And I'm tying this into Torah, so it's not just a physical lecture here. Better yet, look at what God's Torah has to say about the lifestyle of his people. And when we get into next week's parasha, we're going to really be getting to, into types and anti-types. I'll explain all of that to you. But all of these things were written in the book of Leviticus, which is the middle of the five books of Moshe. And it was designed to show Aharon and his sons how to conduct the priestly uh, role and how each member of the nation is supposed to live. And I say is because was and is is no different. His rules are the same. All right. In our parasha this week, let's take a look at chapter 40, verses 36 through 38. Quote, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel continued with all their travels. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not travel. They didn't travel onward until the day when it was taken up. For the cloud of Adonai was above the tabernacle during the day, and fire was in the cloud at night, so that all the house of Israel could see it throughout all their travels. Humans were not designed to sit for prolonged periods of time, neither physically or spiritually. 
Our bodies were made for movement, for standing, for walking, for running, climbing, and even jumping. Our brains were made to process new information throughout our lives. If we fail to give the body, including our brain, regular exercise, they can easily malfunction and put us at risk for serious illness. For example, exercise such as walking that places stress on the long bones of the legs helps prevent osteoporosis because you've got that constant stress, so there's a breaking down and a building up of those bones. Regular movement promotes a regular bowel routine, and it prevents muscle wasting, also called atrophy. Interestingly, just as God's law and grace cannot be treated in exclusion, neither can physical needs be separated from the spiritual. It is all together. It works all in tandem. Emotions affect the body and vice versa. I tell my patients who come in with anxiety and they're complaining about muscle aches and pains and back aches and muscle spasm and la la la, that if one cell in your body is anxious, every cell in your body is anxious and it reacts accordingly. The Torah of God is replete with narrative describing human emotions and their effects on spirituality and relationships with him. It's fascinating to look at the sequence of verbs in the very first verse of the book of Psalms. And it says, happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, this is a picture of the bad life lived in pursuit of the wrong values. Note how the bad man begins by walking, then stands, then sits. A bad life immobilizes. That's the point of the famous verses in Hillel. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. Ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feel, but cannot walk. Nor can they make a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. Psalms 115, 4 through 8, that's where that comes from. Simply put, if we choose to live for things rather than for God, we will become as dead people. There will be no life within us, and that's known as the living dead. The life of those who would and will follow God, starting with Abraham, began with momentous journeys. Abraham from Mesopotamia, Moshe and the Israelites from Egypt. Walk on ahead of me and be blameless, said God to Abraham. At the age of 99, having just been circumcised, he saw three strangers passing by and he ran to meet them. Any man who's been circumcised, well, you were circumcised as a baby, so you would remember. But I can tell you, and I can't tell you from experience, but I can tell you by statistics that it hurts. And men are sore. Babies were sore for a while. I say men because some people convert to Judaism later in life, and they actually go through the circumcision procedure. Although in some circles, pricking the yuhu with a pen is enough and counts. Yeah. On the verse, Jacob dwelled, vayashev, the verb that also means to sit in the land where his father had stayed. Rashi, citing the sages, commented, Jacob sought to live in tranquility, but immediately there broke in on him the troubles of Joseph. The righteous do not sit still, and they do not have a quiet life. Anybody who follows Torah, you guys know that. We do not have a quiet life. If we have a quiet life, 
We need to ask what we're doing wrong because we cannot grow without the storms. Rarely is the point made with more subtlety than at the end of this week's parasha in the book of Exodus. The tabernacle had been made and assembled. The closing verses tell us about the relationship between it and the cloud of glory that filled the tent of meeting. The tabernacle was made to be portable. It could be dismantled and its parts carried as the Israelites traveled on to the next stage in their journey. When the time came for them to move on, the cloud moved from the tent of meeting to a position outside the camp, signaling the direction the Israelites were to take. And this is how the Torah describes it, quote, When the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, the Israelites went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel in all their journeys. Now there's a significant difference between the two occurrences of the phrase, in all their journeys. In the first, the words are meant literally. When the cloud lifted, the Israelites knew they were about to begin a new stage in their journey. However, in the second instance, they cannot be meant literally. The cloud was not over the tabernacle in all their journeys. To the contrary, it was there only when they stopped journeying and instead pinched camp. During the journeys, the cloud went on ahead. Rashi notes this, and he makes the following comment. A place where they encamped is also called Masa, a journey, because from the place of encampment, they always set out again on a new journey. Therefore, they are all called journeys. The point is linguistic, but the message is remarkable. In a few brief words, Rashi has summarized an existential truth about Jewish identity. To be a true believer, a true Israelite, means to be a traveler. We all need to keep our sketchers on. We just don't know when we're going to be called by God to travel and leave the comfort of our homes, or in the case of the Ukrainians, their country. Look how fast that happened. And they have to pick which country they want to live in next. I mean, look at what's going on there. It's all coming here, eventually. Our spiritual journey is just that. A journey to a destination, the land. We're given places to rest, oases of sorts, to rest and reflect until we're called to move forward on the king's highway, looking neither to the right nor to the left. We're instructed by God as we are tested, another active verb, until we reach that higher place in our relationship to God. Once we reach that and overcome that trial, he gives us a time of rest, before we have to go back down into the valley and work again. Then follows another oasis, a time of recovery, back down. Even a place of rest, an encampment, is still called a journey. The patriarchs live not in houses, but in tents. And I'm kind of sad to see these people carrying signs that says a house is a right. Well, that's not what Yeshua said. He said, I'll feed you and I'll clothe you. But even the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So who are we to rise above our Creator and our God and expect that we have the right to have a house? The first time we're told that a patriarch built a house proves the point. Jacob traveled to Sukkot. There he built himself a house, and he made shelters, or Sukkot, for his livestock. And this is why he called the place Sukkot. But the verse is astonishing. He's become the first member of the covenantal family to build a house, but he does not call the place house. He calls it cattle sheds. 
It's sort of like he consciously or unconsciously already knew that to live the life of the covenant means to be ready to move, to journey, and to grow. Just as God commanded that the ark have poles in it that were not to be removed, that should be a big hint right there. And just as he commanded that the ark was to be carried on the shoulders of designated men, we are to always be ready to go wherever he directs and carry the mantle of his Torah on our shoulders and in our hearts and minds. So while we're going through these storms, while we're moving from place to place as God leads, we're to set the example and not complain. One might have thought all of this applied only to the time before the Israelites crossed the Jordan and entered into the promised land, but the Torah tells us otherwise. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity because the land is mine. You are strangers and temporary residents as far as I'm concerned. Well, they're selling land over there, and they're going to pay for it. They will. If we live as if the land is permanently ours, our stay there will be temporary. He'll move us one way or another. If we live as if it's only temporarily so, we'll live there permanently. In this world of time and change, growth and decay, only God and his Torah are permanent. We can count on that to our death. We can count on that, and we need to. We need to hold on to that truth no matter what happens. And things are going to get harder for us. $5 for a loaf of bread. Right now, $4 for a gallon of gas, 5 if you're in California. What does the Torah say? It talks about a day's wages for a loaf of bread. I mean, it's there for some people already. No longer can you stock up on things when you see them. It's just getting it in the first place. To be a true believer is to stay spiritually aware of your surroundings, sensitive to the Ruach, ready to begin the next stage of the journey, literally or metaphorically. A familiar cliche is that a man's home is his castle. But for a true believer, the home is a tent. It's a booth, a tabernacle. We know that life on earth is a spiritual training ground and that our homes are temporary. They should not be the focus of our lives. Learning the importance of our time on earth as it relates to our spiritual development, we value each moment and welcome opportunities to ascend in our relationship to God. We should thank God for every day and another chance to repent for the sins that we committed that day. And I'll tell you, we all commit sins in one way or another every day. Every day. I heard this real, I was watching African Queen in and out of doing other things yesterday, and I just loved it, where Catherine Hepburn is talking to, you know, Humphrey Bogart, and he's trying to justify, you know, all the drinking and everything he does. And she said, nature is what we were put on this earth for to overcome. That's what we talk about every week. Human nature can be overcome, and it needs to be, and not used as an excuse. Just as our bodies were created for movement, our souls were not made for sitting still. We have a job to do, and it's becoming more urgent every single day. Who thought you would see this, what we're seeing? Some thought they might not even be alive for it. Some thought, don't worry, you know, it's just, it's going to go away. It's not going away. And you see the world playing in all of this toward this one world order. You see all of this. And the scripture that came to my mind, and I understand there are, there are qualifiers, 
is if you see something to the effect of if you see your neighbor or your brother um, hungry, being hungry, and you have bread, will you not give him bread but say, may God bless you? Well, sometimes I feel that way about that, that country, that here we are watching what's happening to them. But I also realize that if we get directly involved, that's exactly what they want, confrontation between the United States and Russia. You know, but he already sees what we're doing with the stingers and all of that as an act of war. So he's got a completely different mentality than what we're thinking in this country. So we were made for moving, walking, traveling, learning, searching, striving, growing, and knowing that it is not for us to complete the work, but neither may we stand aside from it. Remember, those who ask will be given. That's one of my favorite verses. Those who seek will find, and those who knock, the door will be open. But you got to do those things to get knowledge and then the wisdom from God to use it. It's not going to come by osmosis or radiation fallout. These are all action verbs. We must keep the Great Commission in mind as Yeshua commanded the Talmudim. First, Yeshua commanded the Talmudim to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go into the territory of the Goyim, and don't enter any town in Shomron, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Later, provision for salvation was provided for the Goyim in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make people from all nations into Talmudim, immersing them into the reality of the name, capital N, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. For true believers, the book of Exodus reminds us that we are born to move physically and spiritually always seeking, asking, and knocking. Our haftarah is in 1 Kings. The completion of the tabernacle in the wilderness is compared to the completion of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. And the narrative is filled with references to the past because this is how God teaches us to live in the present and prepare for the future. So any religion who throws the Old Testament away is missing it. How can you compare? How can you validate Without the original, you can't. This is one reason that passing on information of Pesach is so important, an in-depth study of the prophets. We must tell our children and others how God led the people out of Egypt with a strong hand and provided for us then as he does now and will in the future. When I see all of the rubble and all the destruction over in Ukraine, I really understand that those who are sealed to serve during the end the, the tribulation period, will probably be living in those circumstances, being fed by God with some sort of manna. It won't be fun. It won't be comfortable. It won't be pretty. But they will understand, whoever sealed will understand that they have a job to do, and God will protect them to do it. Solomon begins by bringing into the temple the treasury and wealth that Avid accumulated for its construction and maintenance. Interestingly, there were two huge extravagantly decorated pillars at the entrance to the temple named Yaquin and Boaz. The one at the right, Yaquin, was, was on the side of the menorah, thus its name, which denotes a firm foundation, proclaims that the basis or purpose of Jewish life is found in drawing our light from the light, the Shamish candle, Yeshua, the glow of the Torah, which is symbolized by the menorah. The one on the left, Boaz, was on the, the side of the table of shewbread, and its name means, in him is strength, and proclaims that the strength of prosperity 
which is symbolized by the table, emanates from him. God alone holds sustenance in his hand. The middle pillar isn't described here. The Zohar tells us that the son of Yah is the figure called Metatron and the middle pillar of the Godhead. There's Yeshua in the Zohar. All you got to do is prayfully and humbly read and you'll see these things coming out like a hologram. Christianity assigns the middle pillar to Yeshua within the doctrine of the Trinity, although this doctrine is not in the Bible. We refer to the Godhead as the complex unity, the Echad, inseparable, manifesting his roles according to his purpose, just like we do. The middle pillar of the Godhead is Metatron, who has accomplished peace above according to the glorious state there. That's in Zohar too. All right. Brit Shah's in Revelation 15. And this passage reflects the antitype, we'll talk more about that next week, of the tent of meeting in our Padishah with the tent of witness that is open to reveal the seven angels with the seven plagues. The fury of God is handed to the angels in seven gold bowls. Then the sanctuary becomes filled with smoke from God's glory, from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels had accomplished their purpose. Similarly, in our Parashah, Moshe was not allowed to enter the sanctuary when the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Yahweh Yeshua validates his word and consistency throughout his Torah using many different writing techniques. And in this case, it's accomplished by describing and emphasizing his laws, commands, and statutes in both the Old Testament and the Brit Kaddishah, the Refreshed Renew Covenant, Period. So anybody who reads the entire Torah of God and begins to understand these connections, this is what these types and antitypes are written about in the Torah. That's how we can say, oh, look at this. This is spoken of in the future. But it's here in the ancient. You know, there's something waiting ahead. And that's why I tell you some of the language used by the prophets is in the future perfect tense. So while they're prophesying about what's going to happen to the, the nation at that time, it has application in the future. They realize that God is consistent in all things, including his commands. There's this inextricable connection between the Testaments as there is between God's law and grace. And I pray that we learn from these truths, that we internalize them and act on them more consistently as we continue our travels toward the land. Capital L, our home. Shabbat Shalom.